Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the Kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. Father, we come before you and let our soul sing. Let it not be silent for all of creation sings and tells of your glory. And may we do so this morning. We thank you for this opportunity to come together, to bind together as a family and to lift up with our voices and with our hearts united to say that you are Lord. And Father, we thank you for what you've done in our lives. Lord, I thank you how you've answered prayer even this very morning. Lord, that you are showing that you are a great God who loves his children and comforts those who need comforting. And we just pray that you just be with us this morning. Help us to celebrate your presence. Lord, help us to express our love towards you. And Lord, may it glorify you. May others see you and come to know you and proclaim that you too are the God and Father. The Trinity is Lord. We thank you for this opportunity once again. In Christ's name, amen. Oh, the gospel of Mark. I love Mark. Mark is... It's one of those books that, you know, you read through quickly and many times you just don't think much of it. It doesn't get as much attention as Matthew does. It doesn't get as much attention sometimes as the story of Luke, especially during the Christmas season. Or even John, which it's talk of love and talking about the, the intimacy that we have with Christ. But the journey to Jerusalem here as we're going on here in the Gospel of Mark has been very good. And that's where we are, the journey to Jerusalem an awkward silence. Take your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 9. What do you want from life? Here's the question. What is it that you want? What is it that, uh, that people seek after? We talk about success. People want success, whatever that may look like in your field, in your life. People are looking for happiness. That's the pursuit. I mean, that's in our constitution, right? That We have to have that. Uh, they're looking for all sorts of things. They're looking for fulfillment. I want to give you a few real answers to that question as I was looking on the internet. One person says, I live for the love of my friends, my family, and others, and myself. I live for the love of change, the love of struggle, the love for challenges, and the love to someday make a difference. I live so that I can give love to those that have not received any. That's that's pretty good. That's pretty good. One man said, I live so that I can help those who pulled over on the roads of life with a flat tire, with flat hopes. I live to inspire others, not only to make it easier for them, but so that one day they'll do the same for me. Kind of like the golden rule. One says, I love to have fun. I live to experience the many experiences I have yet to experience. I have yet to climb Mount Everest. I have yet to try hang gliding. I still haven't swam with the sharks and still have not flown an airplane by myself. And I have never really partied my life. So I have yet to black out before that time of death when I really do black out. Okay. One says, I live to express my truest nature and see what happens. I hate to see that young man. One writes, I live to be a musician, a poet, or a prophet. I would love people to be inspired by me as egotistical as that sounds. And many times when you go to it, our dreams and things of that usually tend to go to things that we would like to fulfill. We like to think of ourselves as making a difference. And that can be something that can be very altruistic, but many times, even in those things, it wraps down to you really want to make much about yourself and making much about others. 
For some, their desire may be to be a goat. Have you ever desired to be a goat? The greatest of all time is what the goat stands for. It usually is meant to refer to a sports figure who is the greatest of all time. Fred Bowen writes of some sports goats. He says, New York Yankees relief pitcher Mariano Rivera with more than 650 saves and an incredible postseason record as a goat. Michael Phelps is a goat with over 18 Olympic medals and many records. Soccer star Abby Wambach set the record for the most career goals scored in international matches by either a man or a woman. Is she a goat? Usain Lightning Bolt is a Jamaican sprinter who has won gold medals in the 102-meter and 4x100-meter relay races at the 2008 and the 2012 Summer Olympics. He won those races again at the 2013 World Championships in Moscow. He also owns the world record in the 100 and 200 meters. Is he the GOAT of track and field? Many consider Serena Williams, who won the U.S. Open Tennis Tournament for her 17th major title as the GOATs. Experts will be debating for a long time whether Michael Jordan or LeBron James is the greatest all-around basketball player ever. It seems that whether it's sports or entertainment, finance, medical, or any other profession, people want to be the best. They want to be the one that people come to. They want to be the employee of the month, so to speak. They want to be the greatest. People spend tremendous amounts of energy seeking to attain some sense of greatness, even if it's in their small part of the world or a small pond. Churches, pastors, and Christians are not immune to that desire either. However, here at OVBC, our desire, our aspiration, our strategy, our ministry exists in order to develop lifelong seekers, not of being the goats, but of the kingdom of God. And in doing this, we find that we must adopt the values of God's kingdom rather than those of the world. In order to do that, you and I need to reorient our worldview that says that the world revolves around me to a biblical worldview that puts everything into the right perspective. Mark in his gospel has been using the life and teachings of Jesus to help you and I to understand the values of the kingdom of God, of those who desire to inherit, to those that are God's children. We've learned three of these in the past few chapters. It's going to be here on the screen if we can put that up. Here are some values of the kingdom that we've learned, that salvation comes through suffering. Now, that's not to say that we're not saved by faith, but as a value of the kingdom, those that are, are Christ, the Christ has said, those that are in the kingdom will deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. He says they're willing to give up their life to follow Christ. As Christ suffered, the scripture tells us that we too must suffer. And we spent some time over the last month or so unpacking that. The second value is that we saw that reconciliation comes through repentance. There's no way for us to be reconciled to God except through repentance, which is turning back and repenting of our dead works and turning and trusting in Christ. We cannot please God in and of ourselves. There's nothing that we do, each and everything that we try always falls short. The third value we saw is that power comes through prayer. Kingdom power comes through prayer. And so as we go on today, we're going to look at this passage of scriptures that's going to give us the fourth value that you and I need 
as seekers of the kingdom of God. I start with giving you three awkward observations this morning that I find in Mark chapter 9. An awkward silence is an uncomfortable pause in a conversation or a presentation, the dictionary says. The unpleasant nature of such silence is usually associated with feelings of anxiety as the participants feel pressure to speak, but really are unsure of what to say. Have you ever experienced an awkward silence? Yeah, you have. So let's go to your Bibles and turn first. Father, we do ask that you'd come with us this morning. Open up Scripture that we can see it clearly. Lord, let us respond to your Holy Spirit's work. I pray that you'd bind it. I pray that, that you'd just keep everyone here for the, the whole service to be able to hear and to understand. And Lord, may you be glorified in the teaching and the responding and the listening of your word. We praise in Christ's name. Amen. So let's look at the first one. First, we see that Jesus continues his private teaching of disciples. As we look at Mark chapter 9, we're looking at verses 30 and 32. It'll be on the screen if you don't have your Bibles. But it says they sit talking about Jesus' disciples. They went on from there, and they passed through Galilee. And he did not want anyone to know. For he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. And they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days he will rise. But they did not understand the saying, and they were afraid to ask him. From the previous passages, we know that Jesus' Galilean ministry is now completed. He has finished most of all of Mark, of what we're seeing here has been taking place in northern, what we would say, Israel or Palestine of that time. And we see now that has come to an end, and he's now heading to Jerusalem and his date with the cross. In this passage, we find that Jesus has finally found that time to teach his disciples in a quiet setting without the crush and the spectacle of the crowd surrounding them. We've been seeing this since about chapter 7. Since they came back from their personal ministry of two by two, Jesus has been looking for some quiet time. He's finally found that. Mark records that this is the second time that Jesus brings up the subject of his upcoming death. In this narrative, though, Jesus now introduces a new element in the fact that he is going to be betrayed. This quiet time is intended for private instructions with the disciples so that they may focus and zero in on Christ's mission. As we've been going through this, we've seen that not only Jews in Israel, but even the disciples have missed the point of Jesus Christ and his ministry and his mission. You see, Jesus' teaching seems to contradict what they've come to believe about the Son of Man and what he was destined to do. And when I use that phrase, Son of Man, for those who may not have been here during that teaching, that's synonymous with the Messiah, with the Christ. And they seem to think that this is what he's going to do. According to Daniel 7, 14, the Son of Man, the Messiah, the Christ, was to be given dominion and glory and a kingdom and that all peoples and nations and language should serve him. It writes that his dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom shall not be destroyed. This is what the disciples, and actually all of Jews and all of Israel, had been expecting. However, Jesus is trying to help them see the whole picture of Scripture. And in here we see his death, and his betrayal is something that really was in Scripture before, but they've missed it or have misunderstood it 
or maybe just haven't been taught. The prophet Isaiah in, in chapter 53 is written about the Messiah and the suffering servant when he said that, that the Messiah would be despised and rejected by men. He would be a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief as one from whom men hid their faces and as he was despised and it says, and we esteemed him not. It said that he would be pierced for our transgressions and that he would be crushed for our iniquities. That he would be oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. And like a lamb, he was led to the slaughter. And that the Messiah would by oppression and judgment be taken away. And that the Messiah, that it was the will of the Lord, the Father, to crush him. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. But their response to Jesus' teaching on this subject is lacking of understanding and is filled with fear. It's a lack of understanding in that they were not able to either grasp or maybe not even aware of all of what Scripture revealed concerning the Messiah. The fear may have been due to a desire not to repeat Peter's folly when Jesus charged him, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but the things of man. After Peter had rebuked Jesus when he first taught that he must suffer. Or maybe they really didn't want to know or understand what Jesus was teaching. Maybe they caught a glimmer and they just did not want to hear it. Whatever the reasons, it brought silence because they did not know what to say. The second observation follows in verse 33, where Jesus invades a personal conversation. Look at verse 33 with me. It says, And they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. Here they find themselves at their base of operation, which is probably the home of Peter and Andrew. They're in Capernaum, still in Galilee, getting ready to make their way. And on the way to their house, they had been arguing about who was the goat. Who was going to be the greatest of all of them? The question might have risen due to the selection of Peter, James, and John to accompany Jesus to the transfiguration. And here you can imagine, remember, the scene is they're coming down. Jesus tells them what? To be silent, not to tell anyone what you would experience. But you can imagine the disciples, though, can't wait to hear what's going on. They want to know, what were you and Jesus doing? What did you see? And yet, there's silence. It's like a it's a secret club. You just don't belong yet. You could imagine maybe the pain, the anger that was going on. They wanted to know. And, and then right after, as we saw two weeks ago, is that the nine that were left could not cast out demons, even though they had done it many, many times before successfully. And so maybe there was discussion going on about that. Maybe it was jealousy. Envy of Peter, James, and John that fueled the question, we don't know. Or maybe they're finally recognizing Jesus' teaching and they're wondering who's going to lead them when he is gone. In any case, their aspiration, dreams, and desires are really fueled by pride. And it seems like the future apostles themselves are not immune to the constant pull to put one first. Who is the greatest? And we have those discussions. We do that even as pastors. We're not immune to it. That's why sometimes you got to be careful of pastor conferences, seminars, and when we get together. You can't just route right and come out and say, well, you know, who has the biggest church? Who has this? But there's always that kind of pecking order. 
you kind of find a way to ask, well, how many do you run on Sunday? Well, you know, are you full-time or part-time or what's going on with you? Or how many, you know, how many do you have in this? And, and you know, there's a matter of pride in that issue. Sometimes it's a matter of pride in the fact that you're maybe embarrassed. Maybe sometimes you'll see those that just rule it. They use that and they, they find themselves number one. It's in any profession. You can find it if you're even at McDonald's just making hamburgers. You want to be the best. I remember working at Wendy's. I wanted to be the best hamburger flipper I could be. You want to be the man. Everybody wants to be the man or the woman, okay? At least typically. If not, we want to at least have our, our, ourselves recognized. The apostles are not mean to it. And here they are having a discussion about who's the greatest. The sad thing is, is when we read that passage, we sometimes don't connect with what's really going on. And I love theologian and pastor in R.T. France. I'm indebted to him when he notes this. Listen to what he writes here. This puts their conversation in context. Would you listen? It says, while Jesus' eyes are fixed on his martyrdom, the disciples are preoccupied with the question of status. What had Jesus just been teaching them? And so then they're walking, instead of asking, they're too afraid to ask, but what are they more interested in? You know, it's like you and I going and talking to someone, and someone says, hey, you know, I, I'm really sick, I, I have this thing, I, you know, I, I'm very, very hurt, I, you know, we have cancer or whatnot, and when you just say, oh, yeah, but I wonder if I'm going to get that promotion at work. How callous, how self-serving. But yet you and I know in our hearts that we hold the same thing, do we not? They are preoccupied with the question of status. While Jesus is talking of his rejection, his betrayal, his death, they are apparently thinking of the continuing movement in which leadership will be the issue. Which one of us 12 will be the greatest? Which one of us will be the leaders? Maybe some are thinking it's Peter, James, and John. Maybe within those three, then they're fighting over it. Maybe within them they're thinking, well, how can we gang up on one of them, one of us? I don't know, is it like Survivor? We vote one of them out until we have one? With their pride and pettiness exposed, they are once again silenced in the face of Jesus' questions. What are you arguing about? You know, I like that about Jesus. I like that about the Word of God. It exposes our pride and pettiness. It exposes who we truly are. Hence our struggle with it. Hence why many times we don't want to read it. Many times we don't want to follow through with it. But Jesus points and says very quickly, what are you arguing about? Did Jesus know? Yes. He's about to show this point as we look at number three. As we go to verse 35. As Jesus illustrates what defines greatness in the kingdom of God. Look at verse 35. And as Jesus sat down and he called the twelve, we're still here in the house, and he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and he put him in the midst of them, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who, what? Who's he speaking of? God. 
He says, if you receive me, you will not only, you'll not only receive me, but you'll receive God. And not only will we receive you, but he'll receive all of us. This child is probably a relative of Peter and Andrew's since it's in their house and it's a private setting. Choosing a child here, this is important, I think. Choosing a child here as an illustration has more to do with his status rather than his character. Many times when we think about being like a child, we're thinking about his character. We need to be innocent. But anybody who knows a two-year-old, that isn't going to follow through. I think he's talking more here about status because that's the issue. A child is a lowest on the social order, especially in those days. They are dependent upon their parents. They have no self-determination and no voice in society. They just accept it. And in this case, Jesus is illustrating something very, very simple. Is you need to be like this child. You see, Jesus is spending what short time he has left to teach his disciples about the truth, about the principles and the values of those that inherit the kingdom of God. He says the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. And he says those who inherit the kingdom of God will inherit eternal life. But until that day, here's the values of the kingdom. And here's what I want to share with you. If you and I at OVBC are committed to developing lifelong seekers of the kingdom of God, if we're going to seek after the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then you and I need to live by those values. Amen? It's those values that set us apart from those that are outside the kingdom. There should be a difference of the things you value and the things that you live than those that are outside the world. I don't think we should disagree about that. And let me tell you, the values that we have here is not something that you and I can conjure up in yourselves. There may be some fruit, but many times it will expose itself as false fruit. It says even Satan can disguise himself as an angel of light. What we're talking about here is a gospel issue. For those that are in the kingdom, God implants these in the heart. And he says, now live out this value. And so I want to share with you the spiritual truth, what I believe Jesus is teaching here as he gives us the fourth value. Value number four is that honor comes through humility. The kingdom of God operates differently than the world. Traits like meekness, humility, and service are awarded. While traits like haughtiness and pride and selfishness are judged and punished. Did you get that? The values of the kingdom of God and those who are of his kingdom are different than the world. We have honor through humility. Scripture tells us in James chapter 4, verse 6, this is a promise of God. He says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to who? The humble. God seeks out the humble. He seeks out the servant. He seeks out those that he might receive them to himself. Let me ask this morning. Do you want to be received into the kingdom? Do you want to be received into the family of God? Do you want to be received into the arms of a loving father? Do you yearn to hear those words, Well done, thou good and faithful servant? And it comes through humility. God honors those who are humble. 
Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to Luke chapter 18. As God gives us an example, as Jesus gives us an example in Luke chapter 18, we'll see this very clearly in the story of the Pharisee and the sinner. Many of you are aware of this passage. Luke chapter 18. And again, I encourage you to bring your Bibles with you on Sunday. If you don't have one, please see Dustin. He'd be happy to give you one. We have some that can recommend. We'd love to get one in your hands. Look at Luke chapter 18, verse 10. Two men went up to the temple to pray. Jesus is teaching. He's telling a story. He says, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. Look at verse 13. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but has beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Oh my goodness, if you and I could start our prayers with that phrase, how much more powerful would your prayer be? How much closer would you be to the throne room of God? Look at verse 14, I tell you this, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will what? Be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be what? Exalted. Honor comes through humility. The scripture also gives us two extreme examples of the reward of the prideful and the humble. In Daniel chapter 4, you can turn to this if you want. I won't, uh, we're not going to be reading it uh, all of the verbatim, but you can follow the story in Jan- Daniel chapter 4. It's a story of Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar, king of over Babylon at that time, ruled the whole world, including that of Israel. Israel has been dispersed. Daniel is there. Nebuchadnezzar has a disturbing dream. Again, he asked Daniel to come, and he says, interpret this dream for me. And Daniel gives the interpretation when in verse 24 of chapter uh, 4 of Daniel, verse 24, he says, This is the interpretation, O king. It is a decree of the Most High, which has come upon the Lord the King, that you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be the beast of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven, and seven periods of time shall pass over you, till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Daniel pleads with the king to repent and honor God. Yet the story continues in verse 28, that there was one day that all this came upon Nebuchadnezzar. For in verse 29, it says at the end of 12 months, one year later, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And you may remember, this is the place of one of the seven great wonders of the world, the Hanging Gardens. And he was walking on the roof, and the king answered and said in verse 30, Is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence? Look at this. And for the glory of my majesty, look at all I've built to magnify myself. But look at verse 31. While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. And did what the Most High said. As you continue to read that story, you see that he is thrown away and goes and lives like a wild animal in his gardens. His kingdom is taken away and given to others. 
He grows wild nails like claws. He becomes hairy all over, and he himself is in the dew of it. Everything that God said would come. For seven long years, this man lived out of his mind. But look at verse 34. And at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me. Verse 37. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, for all his works are right, and his ways are just. And if you're with me there in verse 37, and those who walk in pride, he is able to what? Humble. You want to be a goat? This could very well be your ending. Not that you're going to be driven out like a wild animal, but God has a way of bringing those who are prideful down. Now I'd like to give you another contrast. Let's look at Philippians chapter 2, verses 5. In Philippians, we see Jesus. Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, even though he was God, did not equality with God a thing to be grasped. But what did he do? He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. He brought himself to a status of that of actually a child, being born in the likeness of man and being found in human form. He humbled himself by coming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. The one who had no reason to magnify himself did so and wound up falling because of pride. The one who had every reason and right to exalt himself debased himself to the glory of the Father and for you and I. Dustin, in his message on this passage of September 2014, he spoke on this passage, so I didn't want to rewrite the will. He said Jesus didn't die in old age. He didn't die in prosperity. He didn't die a respected man. He died a shameful, disgraceful death. He was utterly humiliated. And that is exactly what the Apostle Paul, the author of his letter to the Philippians, is going to emphasize in this passage. The shocking truth is, is that Paul is going to urge us as believers in Jesus Christ to be like him in his willingness to suffer and be humiliated. Great words. Let me read it once again. Paul is urging us as believers in Jesus to be like him in our willingness to suffer and be humiliated. You see, the value of the kingdom is honor comes to humility. He is going to urge us, he writes, or says, to go out of our way to put our brothers and sister needs ahead of our own, to sacrifice life and limb for the sake of the kingdom and for the sake of each other. That's the value of the kingdom. That's the value that you and I should live for. But our default setting is not there. And we have to work and renew the gospel comes and changes our heart. And we need to expose it. You and I ourselves have awkward silences when God says, how are things? What are you arguing about? What are you striving for? And just as Jesus knew the minds and hearts of disciples, he knows each and every heart and mind here today. You may be able to fool me, fool each other, fool your spouse. You may even fool yourself. But God knows your heart, whether you're living the kingdom values or whether you're not. In Philippians chapter 2, if we were to continue on in 9-11, we see that because Jesus obeyed the Father, that God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess what? That Jesus is Lord. Honor comes 
through humility. It comes through humility. What value are you living out this morning? In what way do you want to be honored? In what way do you want to live out humility? In which way are you fighting that today? See, here's where I want to come to. Seeking the kingdom of God and its values, especially in what we're talking about today, means that you and I seek after the glory of God above our own. Matthew says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Unfortunately, that has become one of the most spoken about phrases that winds up just being redundant and unthought as we pray that. Have you prayed it this morning? Are you living that out? Are you seeking that? Father, what's your will? You see, that's the tension in our lives. For we say yes and amen and agree, but yet we know within our life there is that tension that I'm still seeking my will. I'm still rebelling just as my first parents did. We need to seek after the glory of God above our own. And number two, we need to seek after the honor of others above our own. Romans chapter 12 tells us this, love one another with brotherly affection. It says, outdo one another in showing honor. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Here's what I want you to grasp this morning. For you and I, if we're going to live at that value, we need to seek the glory of God above our own. And we need to seek after the honor of everyone else besides ourselves. And you and I must recognize that all sin, every sin finds its source as pride. It is pride that caused Satan to rebel against God. It was pride that caused Eve to take of the forbidden fruit. And it was pride that led Adam to rebel against his creator. Pride has brought all of humanity under the curse of death. Amen? Do you recognize that? Solomon writes in Proverbs, Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before pride. And there may be some of you that say, you know what, but I'm not struggling with being a goat. I'm not struggling with pride. I don't really care if I'm the greatest. Sometimes I just try to serve everyone else and I have no prideful, selfish bone in my body. Let me share with you this. Pride is a two-sided coin. With arrogance and boastfulness on one side and low self-esteem on the other. You say, what do those two? They seem to be way in opposite. And yes, they are. But both of those things and conditions focus on what? Self. So whether it's in me being the greatest or woe, look at me and you're having a pity party, you're still focusing on yourself. That's pride. It's a two-sided coin. As long as you and I are focused on ourselves, either on what we deserve or a pity party, we are not focused on the mission of God. And that's where I want to come to a point this morning. You and I need to be focused on our mission. What is our mission? To love God and to love our neighbors. We need to be a church that seeks to be humble. For if we are not a humble church, if we are not a church full of humble beings and servants of God, we will be a failure in our mission. 
Our mission is to reach out to God in love or to reach out to God by focusing and worshiping Him, saying that He is the Almighty Creator. We are to focus by discipleship and by fellowship, by serving each other and living life together, recognizing that we're connected and we work and grow together. It says when one member hurts, what does the Bible say? All the members hurt. We experienced that this morning in a powerful way. The Bible tells us that then that we're to also to reach out by loving others, by serving them and sharing the gospel. But the thing that will keep us from doing that is our own pride, our own struggles, and our own fighting with being the greatest. I'd like you to take a moment to pause, to consider and pray and to respond. Do you want to live out the values of the kingdom of honor through humility? Would you join with us in seeking out, fulfilling God's mission as he's given it to OVBC? We'd ask you to pray. Are you struggling with sin this morning, the sin of pride? Are you struggling with low self-esteem? Are you struggling with something that just keeps you from being humble? If so, would you give that up to the Lord? Would you repent of that sin? And would you turn and humble yourself and turn to him and say, Father, use me. Receive me. Work in my heart. Give me a humble heart to live out the humility that you've called us to. Father, you are a great God. And there is nothing within ourselves that deserve your grace and your mercy. Father, we are so filled with pride and we rebel against you and your word and your command and the spirit of every law that's ever been written. Pride wells up within us as we seek to serve ourselves in so many ways. I pray, Father, that you would expose that pride. Father, I pray that you would expose the ways in which we tend to lift up ourselves. Show us those ways in which we still struggle with your will, the ways in which we still defy your will. And Father, expose the ways in which we are not loving each other, that we're not kind to one another, that we're not building one another up, we're lifting one another up. Father, if there's any here that need to forgive, let them forgive. Let them give them grace to their brothers and sisters. And Father, we do seek to be honored, but only through your word as honor comes through humility. Let us live out that value. Let Orangeville Bible Church be a church that's marked by a humble spirit seeking to please you and to love others. We pray this in the name of Christ who married this and gave us the greatest example of humility. We pray this in his name. God's people said... We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.